Welcome to the Irish Times Books Podcast. I'm Gary Quinn, and I'm here to join best-selling writer Alexander McCall-Smith in the Palace Bar, one of Dublin's most historic pubs. We're here for a whiskey tasting to celebrate his win for the 2015 Bollinger Everyman Woodhouse Prize. So, Alexander, Sandy, uh, welcome to the Palace Bar. It's, we, I chose this location really because it's quite an historic place, but it's also very tied to the Irish Times. Um, and uh, in one of your latest books, Fadi O'Leary, the Irish Times features. And so I thought it, was a great, it would be a, an appropriate place to, to meet. But I understand also that you're, you're a whiskey drinker. I enjoy it. I enjoy it. Yeah. Yes. Yes. And uh, well, what a wonderful bar this is. Absolutely. Uh, I, I, I wish we had more of these uh, in Scotland. This is a Teeling single moth that they've given us. Yes. Uh, congratulations yes, on your you win indeed. in the Bollinger Prize. Well, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's, uh, I'm, I'm obviously very delighted about that. It's a very unusual prize. Uh, it's uh, in, in honour of uh, Woodhouse, the great uh, humorous writer. And it consists of a Jeroboam of Bollinger Champagne, uh, which is uh, all of six bottles. And I gather that with these very large bottles of champagne, you get more bubbles than in a standard size. Is that right? Yes, yes. Yeah. It's something to do with the, the volume. And so that's, that's a, a, good, uh, a good thing. And then uh, I get uh, a set of uh, Woodhouse novels from the Everyman edition, and I get, uh, finally, a pig, uh, which is a very appropriate thing for a Woodhouse prize. Fantastic. And, and, and what a great win, because I, I enjoyed Fatty O'Leary's dinner party so much. And, and I laughed, and I just kept laughing, and, and his... Where did he come from? Well, I, d I don't know. I mean, I really c can't remember uh, where I got Fatty O'Leary from. Uh, it was, it's just such a ridiculous, absurd idea. Uh, the idea of this uh, very nice man, who's an Irish-American, uh, who's always wanted to come to Ireland. And I think there's a certain poignancy in the idea of somebody uh, wanting very much to visit somewhere, and then being disappointed in, in, in a way, and yet ultimately, of course, it's a very important trip for him. Uh, but of course, awful things happen to him when, once he arrives in Ireland. And uh, that, I, that I think is, you know, it's a, fairly, it's, a, uh, it's a fairly hackneyed idea that, I mean, there's nothing absolutely new in the idea of somebody going off on uh -huh. a great trip and then having all sorts of unfortunate things. But you like, we liked him so quickly and then things started to unravel yes. so immediately oh, yes. that you just couldn't help but feel for him. Yes, I, know, I, I, th I think that's right. I, I felt very, very uh, fond of him and very uh, so sorry for him uh -huh. uh, because uh, the indignities that are heaped upon him uh, are just so immense. And he gets stuck in the bath and is uh, carried out uh, in, in the bath and then turned upside down yes. and got out. His, his clothes go missing, all of the... What happened to his clothes? Well, we never know, we never know yeah. what happened. I think there's, there's a hint uh, in the book that they, they might have been cut up and used as, as cleaning cloths, uh -huh. uh, but we never really know. And of course, he, he does find a tailor who's able to fix him up in, in this uh, small town near, near the hotel. But, um, of course, before that, he has to, he has to wear the duvet cover. <laughs> and, um, and then he, I, and I'm sorry to say, he does meet uh, somebody from the Irish Times. And I, I really, I do owe the Irish Times an apology because <laughs> this character is, is, is really pretty poisonous. And I'm sure he's quite unlike any, <laughs> any, <laughs> any past or, pre or, or, or present well. members of staff of the Irish Times. <laughs> 
but we enjoyed him very much and 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 wondering gosh i wonder is he based on anyone we know no no there's, um, there's absolutely no question of of, of that uh, no absolutely no, no and, and actually i think you were quite fair to him because by the end and we shouldn't jump so quickly to the end, but I did actually quite like this this yes. mean character. He was colourful. I uh -huh. mean, he, he had a tremendous conceit of himself. He he was a, a, a terrific uh, intellectual name dropper. You know, he he he'd, he'd met everybody, he'd read everything, he'd done everything, and he was so condescending to uh, poor old Fatty and his wife Betty um, that uh, we, we get very irritated by, by sure. that. But at the end of the day, yes, I agree with you. I, th I think he's, uh, he, he's good company, uh -huh. uh, Mr. O'Brien, the, the critic, is, 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 <laughs> is. is good company. And I think we all know people like him. It's, it's very, very well drawn. And <laughs> tell me now, why was Fatty fat? This, this was a big part of the book. Yes, he, he, just, he really, really enjoyed his food too much. I, I think the, there's a, a, an episode at the back, uh, at the end of the book, where he he's encouraged to go to a, a, a fitness farm, mm -hmm. and he's um, he revolts against that. Uh, I think he's 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 a comfortable character, and he just I think he probably eats he eats too too much. I mean that is a, a problem. I mean most of us at some stage in our lives have had to worry about our weight. It's a universal thing. Was it a theme? That is it is it was there something you wanted to say about weight or weight loss? No, not really. No, uh, I think uh, I don't think there was anything of that uh, in it. I, I suppose what I might have been saying was something ab uh, about how we might feel sympathy for people who become the, the victims of the enthusiasms of others. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I should imagine that people who are generously built um, may feel under a bit of pressure from the, 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 those who would make them uh, healthier. And I think that we have to be careful in society not to uh, overstep the mark of intervention in people's lives. There's a serious point there that uh, people should be allowed to um, live their lives um, fairly much as they want to, li to live them. And that, that, at the same time, of course, I'm not uh, condoning um, things like the fast food industry shoving all the fats and, and salts and things like that into mm -hmm. Into I think there's there's, there's a serious a serious issue. I mean in the, in the UK uh, it's it's a it's a big issue. I don't know what, what the situation in, in Ireland at present is, but in the UK the the health service is saying, look, we can't actually really cope with the impending crisis of uh, diabetes and uh, uh, which is going to come from obesity, and we're really going to have to do something about it because we can't afford it. So whether that means um, restricting restricting certain branches of the food and drinks in, in, uh, industry from putting too much sugar into things. And I was recently reading rather an interesting uh, book on the Scots diet called The Good mm -hmm. Scots Diet, What Happened to It? And it's very interesting that in the uh, 19th century, before the Industrial Revolution, people in Scotland had actually really quite a healthy diet, uh, particularly if you lived by the sea because you got a lot of protein. And that probably was a pretty similar picture in, 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 in Ireland, that you, you, you got quite a lot of fish and you got various things uh, from that. Uh, and then when the Industrial Revolution came along and people moved to, to Glasgow and Dundee and, and, and places uh, like that, the, the, the diet really went... Uh, went wrong. And the thing that actually saved Scotland 
uh, in the 19th century, and this will be familiar in, in, in Irish terms as well, was the potato was actually very, very important in places like mm -hmm. Glasgow in actually getting the nutrients to, to people that they needed because the, the rest of the diet was so bad. And then um, when, what, what ha happened was that uh, when prosperity grew, sugar came into the, into the picture. And now in Glasgow, we've got the worst diet in the developed world. It's that bad. Wow. It is really, really bad. And no health message seems to be getting through. Yeah, it's incredible, actually, it's how, how it has, all over the world, has, has taken over. And I think that, for me, when I was reading the story of Fadi O'Leary, it brought us, um, I guess, a, a, how he felt being overweight, mm, yeah, in, in yeah. a way that lots of people have tried, but, but you don't necessarily believe. Uh, and I really believed this. And, and you may, you, he shed a tear on two occasions. Yes, and it yes. was heartbreaking. Yes. Well, he, he, he's such a nice man, and he, 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 he just wants to, uh, to be happy and to be loved, as most of us do. And he, the world is just a little bit uh, cruel to him. Uh, and he's, he's set upon by these people who seem to be ta wanting to take advantage uh, of him. And, and he comes to Ireland. Uh, he's, he's quite naive in a way. When he comes to Ireland, he's, he's, he's desperate to, to belong. Yes. And he meets this chap in a bar who obviously is just getting him to, to buy him drinks and coming up with these ridic <laughs> ridiculous claims about, um, about being related to him in some way. So, and of course, that's an old theme. I mean, that's a familiar, uh -huh. uh, familiar theme. And the, in particular, I think American readers are going to um, uh, really take something from the story. Do you, did you, the, the choice of an American coming to Ireland, what was the thinking around those particular nationalities as opposed to perhaps Canadian coming to Scotland or Britain? Yes, that's interesting. I, I, I don't know really whether I gave it much thought, actually, uh, <laughs> Gary. I don't know. Uh, I, I, why did I? Why did I choose Ireland? I, I find I haven't written very much about Ireland. I've written a little bit about Ireland. Uh, I don't know Ireland uh, terribly well, and you've got to be extremely careful about writing about somebody else's country, and you can get things quite wrong. Um, I did live in, 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 in Ireland uh, years ago. My first really? job, actually, was uh, at uh, Queen's in, in Belfast yeah. um, back in the 1970s. Mm -hmm. And that's when I first really uh, properly engaged with, uh, with Ireland. And since then, obviously, I've been back quite a lot. Uh, I find that it's, it's a wonderful setting for, uh, for, for something because there's this, uh, the, the, this feeling that there's a bit of excitement and magic just under the surface in, in, in Ireland and you can get away with a bit of magic realism <laughs> when you're writing about Ireland because it's, it's an imaginative place, it's a poetic place. Uh, you, you, I couldn't have set Fatty O'Leary's dinner party in, in Germany, for example. It just wouldn't have, wouldn't have made sense. Now, as it happens, I do write um, a series of comic novels which are set in Germany, my Portuguese regular verb series. So, uh, and, and the Germans actually quite enjoy those. My German friends quite enjoy them. But um, no, I, th I think it just, uh, it just lent, its, uh, lent itself to, to that. And of course, we, we had stayed in, in a hotel um, fairly similar to the hotel that I described. Because you do describe it very well and, and, and you have such a sense of place. 
-hmm. I can imagine it um, very, very clearly. And um, the, it's one of the reasons why I chose to come down here. We're here in the Palace Bar, a very old bar in, in yes. Dublin. And, and I, I, I guess I wanted to capture some, some atmosphere in this because I, you captured that so well in your, in, in your piece. Well, place, well, thank you very much indeed for that. Um, uh, a place is terribly important for, for me. I, I often will write a book or a story um, firstly, on the basis of, of a feeling for the place, uh, so I will go somewhere and I will get a sense of, 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 of what that place means and its potential, and then I will find some story to put into it. So I've done that, for example, increasingly with Australia. A number of my books have an Australian element in it because Australia is a country that I <coughs> have, I suppose, comparatively recently uh, discovered I've been going there for about 20 years or so um, and uh, I much regret uh, that I didn't um, actually um, see more of Australia at an earlier stage in my life but um, Australia, the presence of Australia, the, the landscape, the, the feel of the place inspires me to write these, the, these stories which have an Australian setting and I think the same with uh, with, with, with Ireland, although to uh, a much lesser extent, in that I, I put various small scenes in, in, in Ireland. This is the f first time that a book's been pretty, pretty much set there. Uh, and of course, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm not a social realist writer. I'm not writing about contemporary realistic Ireland. I'm, I'm writing about an Ireland of the imagination, really. Uh -huh. with Because uh, it was quite timeless. It, apart from the reference to telephones, I think, at one yeah. stage, you couldn't really tell yeah. where, when in the world this was. Well, that's, that, that, that happens with a lot of my books. Uh, and in fact, interestingly enough, I, I, that particular book, uh, initially it was even more timeless. Uh, and then my editor in New York, Edwin Kastenmeyer, said to me, Oh, um, make it in, make it in the late seventies, uh, and I think that he he was he he just wanted it to be anchored in a, in a particular time. So that's why I say at the beginning of the book that this this happened in the late seventies. But I wasn't actually thinking okay. in terms of the late seventies uh, uh, initially, and I think that there there might have been a bit of sensitivity about the fact that Fatty O'Leary has this nickname. And uh, that these days, you know, with, with uh, everybody being so PC, you, you, you wouldn't find many people who are called Tubby or uh -huh. Porky or Fatty. Um, I remember when I was at school, we had, uh, we had a boy in the class called Porky and he accepted that as his, as his nickname. We don't do that now. We recognize the cruelty of these of nicknames. Uh, so it's relatively rare to find somebody who, who calls himself Fatty so-and-so. Um, so th that, that gave it a, a, a more of a temporal, um, uh, um, I suppose, certainty by putting it in the, in the late uh, 70s. Um, I would have been perfectly happy to make it con contemporary, but, um, but I think um, it, it's also, I mean, I, I accept that uh, a lot of it is, is, you know, it's pretty outrageous. It's, it was described by the judges for the Woodhouse Prize as being um, seriously irreverent, which, in a, in a sense, yes. I mean, it's not Absolutely. cruel to anybody. No, but in it's, fact, uh, it's 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 the opposite, really, because you you do save everyone. Ultimately, I don't want to spoil the ending for anyone, but but I had I had certain feelings for characters that changed as the book went on, and I kept getting surprised at how I was feeling about yes. about your characters. Yes. Yes, I, th I think. Well, I I, do, I don't really do villains terribly well in my in my books. In my Botswana books, the number one native detective agency series, 
I don't really have many villains. I had a, I, I've, I've got, a, there's a woman called Violet Sofotha who crops up in the books and she's, she's a sort of pantomime villain. I think my, my villains tend to be slightly on the pantomime uh, <laughs> side. And, but ultimately we actually rather like them as well. Mm -hmm. uh, I, d I don't do thoroughly psychopathic, nasty, nasty uh, characters, I'm afraid. Others do. I think as a, as a writer, you pick your turf. You decide which, which bit of the spectrum you're involved in, and I'm in that bit of the spectrum, which I suppose is, is a bit more positive about things, and, and I'm, I'm happy to, to be there. Uh, I am sometimes accused of having uh, rose-colored, uh, rose-tinted spectacles, um, and I'd say, well, okay, um, uh, why not? Because I think uh, the world is, is a sad and difficult place, oh, really? and my goodness, that looks very off. good, yes. <laughs> so we've, yes. Been yes. we've been joined here by William Hearn, the landlord of the Palace Bar, who's been um, giving us a whiskey tasting. So William, if you can tell us um, what uh, you present. This is the now. new one, Willie, is it? Um, this is called the Fort Estate Batch. It basically, it's a nine-year-old single malt married with 21-year-old single malt. It's from the Teeling Whiskey Company. Uh, basically, we, as well as being a good whiskey, we, we try to tell a bit of what took place in the back room in the 40s and 50s. So we kind of paid homage to the, to the literary connection and we, we named the whiskey the Fort Estate Batch with the, this cartoon that hangs in the back wall. So it's, um, it's a lovely sipping whiskey. That's it's, a lovely that's um, We bottled it ourselves, we each bottle labelled, each one hand numbered, it's only a thousand bottles. That's wonderful, William. And that, that you showed me that uh, picture l er, earlier on, and I was able to see one of my great uh, literary uh, heroes, uh, which is uh, Brown O'Nolan, Miles Nacoplin, there in, in, in that picture. And of course, I was thrilled to hear that this was a pub in which he, he, he would come to take the occasional drink. Yeah. Uh, the story of him, I was told, um, uh, where the ladies' bathroom is now in that corner, there used to be an old phone box. And um, the Holy Hour in Ireland was got rid of about 15 years ago now. But we, the palace was raided one day back in the 50s during the Holy Hour and, um, by the guards. And Miles Nagopoulin was found ducking down in the phone box hiding there. Yeah, so that's, that's a true story about him. Thank you. Thank you so Sanche. much. Thank Cheers. you, um, It really is super, super whiskey. No, I don't want to get them mixed up. This was the... This is the, uh, the other one. The new one. Mm. That is very nice. And very different again. Yes, it's very rich. Mm. Getting all sorts of flavours there. That's wonderful. It's wonderful. Very nice. Can I ask you a question now? Because um, yep. again, in, with Fadi O'Leary, he had a question about place and he had a question about his identity. Is he Irish? Is he American? And he came here looking for something. Uh, you um, love Edinburgh, I yes. know. You were born in Rhodesia, Zimbabwe. Yes. Where are you from? Uh, well, I would, I would say Scotland. I mean, that's where I, I've spent most of my life and that's where I identify. And I was uh, a product of the tail end of the British Empire, uh, which, you know, that existed. And there were people who were born in all sorts of places as a result of that. And so I uh, spent my childhood in what was Southern Rhodesia, now Zimbabwe. Uh, I'm completely out of touch with the country there. I'm, 
I do go to Africa regularly, but it's Botswana now that I, I, I tend to tend to go to. So um, that was that 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 was how I bega begun in a way as uh, family Scottish, um, and then uh, my parents returned to the UK, and I um, went to Scotland um, and um, identified with that. Mm -hmm. So so that's that's where where I fit, fit in. So uh, I had an unusual childhood. But even more unusual, and this will interest you, is that uh, we lived in, in, in a, a, a town called Bulawayo, which actually isn't all that far from the Botswana border in the south of the country. And um, I was educated, you may be interested to hear, by the Christian brothers. Oh, really? How about that? <laughs> <laughs> and how was that experience? <laughs> Well, I think ask anybody who had that, and you'll get a mixed response. Uh -huh. uh, some are very good, others not. Yes. And I think um, that's complex. And uh, you have a phenomenal amount of uh, projects, um, books, novels, uh, soundtracks, I believe, music, <laughs> yes. everything, operas. But something I'm very interested in I was reading about was the, the great tapestry of Scotland. Oh, yes. Because yes. that, of course, is, 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 is that a social political history? Tell, well, tell it, me what is the great tapestry. Yeah, the great tapestry of Scotland is the longest tapestry in the world. It's, I forget the precise length because it's grown a little bit, but it's, it's over 140 metres. It's probably about 150 metres, something of that sort. So it knocks uh, Bayou into the, into the corner. And what actually happened was that um, I went uh, with, with my wife one day to see a tapestry which has been exhibited in Edinburgh, which traced the, uh, the journey of Bonnie Prince Charlie, Charles Edward Stuart, through, through the Highlands, um, through Scotland, and culminating in the Battle of Prestonpans, after which things didn't go too well for him. But this actually followed that. And this tapestry had been stitched by volunteers uh, the panels were, were large, sort of meter, meter square panels. And I was so struck by this, this tapestry uh, when I had a conversation with the artist, Andrew Crummy, who's a marvellous public artist in Scotland, had a conversation with him. I said, well, how about doing a tapestry which shows the whole history of Scotland from the Ice Age upwards? And uh, he said, why not? So I phoned various friends of mine and said, um, let's, let's do this, and say, I set up a little trust. And we, we went in uh, on a wing and a prayer. We didn't have any sort of feasibility studies or any of the things that you're meant to do before you do a tapestry. I mean, these days, before you do anything, you have to have a risk assessment, <laughs> which you could just imagine, risk assessment. People might get the needle in their fingers, that sort of thing. Uh, we, we, did, we didn't do any of that. And uh, we said, let's do it. So we did it. And uh, we had over a thousand volunteers throughout Scotland, um, working in, in groups of eight to 10 people, that sort of size of uh, group, stitching these panels. It was uh, what's called cruel work, where they, okay. it's, it's, so it's not a, a woven tapestry, it's stitched uh -huh. onto linen. And it is the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. It is just the most wonderful, uplifting, moving uh, picture of, of Scottish history. I would love to see it. Um, it's, it's so, so beautiful. And people are so moved by it. We showed it first in the Scottish Parliament 
and they had queues going round the building, down the street. People flocked it, tens of thousands of people flocked it. I remember going to, to some of the um, uh, evenings when it was on, on display and, and seeing people uh, weep when they saw something which meant something particular really? to, to them. It was just so, so it, moving. It is so beautiful. It's phenomenal, um, the, 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 your popularity in, in, among readers. When you think back now to when you started, yes. is it a surprise where you oh, are? Oh, totally, yes. Oh, completely. Uh, I, mean, I, I, was, uh, I had a totally different life. Uh, I was a university professor. Mm-hmm. I was a professor of law at the University of Edinburgh. I was the professor of medical law in particular, which was uh, quite an interesting area of, of, of the law. And uh, in my spare time, I wrote. And so while I was being a professor, I wrote short stories and I wrote radio plays and things like that. And I wrote, I wrote a lot of books for children. I wrote over 30 books for children. And that was just a, that was in the background. Um, and then uh, I, I thought that that was my lot. I thought that my lot in life was to be a university professor who did a bit of writing spare time and, and that, that was it. And then I wrote the uh, number one ladies detective agency. I'd written before that um, for, for adults, apart, apart from the children's books, I'd re- written a collection of short stories and African traditional, collection of African traditional stories and so on. And then I wrote this novel set in Botswana and nothing happened initially because it was published by a small publisher in Scotland. Uh, I had some generous reviews, but nothing, nothing great happened. Uh, and then I wrote a, a sequel and I wrote a third, third volume. And, and uh, again, they, the books sort of potted along, nothing spectacular. Uh, in fact, nothing very much at all. And then they were imported by Columbia University Press in, in New York and they uh, were distributed to various bookstores in the United States. And that's the point at which they took off. They took off in the United States. And suddenly, uh, it was a word of mouth uh, thing. People said, uh, why don't you read this? And and then the New York Times did a a full page article about the first four books in the series. And that's the point at which we got the call from very large publishers in New York. And I remember going over to New York to meet my new publishers and I thought well you know I'd have a cup of coffee and that would be it but I went in and um, I was introduced to all the vice president of this and vice president of that and so on and um, what I thought was to be a half hour visit turned into a whole day and they hired a whole restaurant and went to the restaurant and I was looked at by these PR people who were looking at me and saying obviously thinking what are we going to do with this character and (laughs) And I went out at about four o'clock in the afternoon, uh, went out into the street in, in Midtown in New York, and I, that's the point which I realized my life was going to change, and, and it did. Wow. And um, I was obviously grateful for, for that because I, uh, I, I'm delighted that people are, are reading the books. It's wonderful, Sandy. I'm so grateful well, for you taking the time to meet, us, you, to meet me today. And well, the pleasure's been entirely mine, Ain, to, to be interviewed in such a wonderful place uh, as the Palace Bar and to be uh, regaled with uh, uh, such splendid uh, Irish whiskey. Uh, it <laughs> makes the whole thing an utter pleasure. Oh, and indeed, 
I, 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 th th this sets the bar for future interviews. <laughs> I, I can't see how any future interviews will ever equal this one. <laughs> You're very good. Thank you very much. <laughs>